0: Thank <laughs> you.
1: We've got a guest joining Uh-oh. oh is he showing up
0: oh my god we're we mm-hmm. gonna are we gonna hear if uh he makes his wife cry <laughs> is he married i don't we'll know find I out. Brian, the he said story. he's married right
1: yeah yeah he he went and so got i married, married with kids well, I don't
2: brian's married well listen look at
1: brian we'll, we'll let let sergeant give him his his, uh, his bio but yeah he's married
2: we'll let you introduce him because it's mm. been a long time since I've seen him and talked to him, close to twenty years.
1: Hey, who's that?
0: Who's that? The uh, what's a TV show, Tony, with the guy with the grizzly bear, the, with the long hair, and then the oh, Grizzly
1: Adams. Grizzly Adams.
0: Okay, yeah, Brian now started to look like Grizzly Adams too, <laughs> and not so much uh, uh, Manson from this angle.
2: Yeah, no, he he can look like Jesus. Keep it going.
1: Hey.
3: Oh,
0: oh my God, he's all grown up. Look at him.
2: I got to put my glasses <laughs> on so I
1: can see them. Is this your, is your screen frozen, Sergeant, or is that your, uh, is that an image of? There we go.
3: Hello, Sergeant. How are you? Hey, I am so sorry.
1: Oh, hey, man. I'm
3: showing up late to the party. Oh, no, no, you're good. What's happening? Oh, my goodness. The, the, the whole crew is here.
2: Oh, yeah. For you? Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we are, uh, we joined especially just to, just to catch up with you, man. So, right on. uh, and, and i look, to... look at you, Brian got, got gray around your beard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for what I, you know, I make up for it with my hair. That's what I try to do.
0: Brian, do you dye that ever? Or no,
1: no, no, I don't. I don't. Although I did go to, I'll say this real quick before we go to our guest. Um, there's a, like in, a, a, uh, in the South side where a lot of the, um, where a lot of the Muslims live and, you know, the Middle Easterners. And I went to a, uh, I mean, they're the best when it comes to hooking up the beer. They can line it up. I mean, they're all very hairy people. So they have, they are just like phenomenal. <laughs> the one guy, when Who I went to this chair, he looked into me, he's like, you want color? And I said, no, I'm good. So I, I but uh, he could have, he could have hooked it up, you know. Going
0: natural. I like it.
1: Yeah, for sure. So we've got Sajin Kwok today. And uh, I've known this gentleman since, 1998, the same year I met Tony Cicchini. So, half of my life actually uh, going back to quite a ways. And uh, oh. this, we first met at a seminar, I believe. It was in Iowa when Tony was out there giving a seminar and he and I kept With in Matt touch. Fury. Yeah, oh we don't say that God. name a lot on this podcast, but yeah, that was, he was, uh, he was also at the seminar. Um,
3: Doug, Doug Blueball was there as well.
1: Okay. Yeah. Tony can, can talk Thunder more on gold that. gold medalist,
3: 1960.
1: For sure. Yep um and we've we've kept in touch over the years and he's a pretty interesting fellow and has uh, been a globetrotter and competed internationally MMA so Sergeant why don't you just tell us a kind of about yourself and you know just give us oh, the my thumbnail goodness. uh
3: you know I was uh I was a, a wrestler in high school uh northeast Ohio is where I come from uh and uh yeah uh when I uh when I started getting serious about wrestling when I was about 12 years old, I decided uh, that it was uh, do or die and by the time I was 18, I was going to I was going to I was going to be done. I was either going to accomplish what I set out to accomplish or I I wasn't. I just knew too many people who got distracted and were you know were like next year, next year I'll, I'll get serious and and you know they just never amounted to anything. And so I said by the time I'm 18 I'm done. And, uh, you know, that really motivated me to work my ass off. And, um, you know, at the time, I was under the delusion that, like, I lived in a, a meritocratist world, you know, where if you just work hard enough, you know, you, you'll, you'll achieve your goals, you know, and that's all it took. You just had to work harder than the next guy. And, and so that was my training philosophy was to work harder than everyone else. And, um, you know, I, I became a competent wrestler. Uh, my highest place in state was fourth. And, uh, you know, that was, that was the end of my career. I I went to college, was going to become very serious about, um, about studying. And, um, yeah, I went to Grinnell College and, uh, you know, I just, uh, I couldn't stop training. I was training twice a day. I was, I was still dieting. Um, you know, I just couldn't like get it out of my system. And, uh, you know, I looked for some sort of, uh, direction to channel my, you know, athletic abilities. Um, Ended up meeting some guys from the Meskwaki uh, Indian settlement who were training. A giant guy named Andre Roberts and, uh, you know, his brother Tyrone Roberts and this other dude, Travis Fulton. So they were all training at the reservation. They invited me to come there and train with them. And uh, that's how I got my start in MMA. And, uh, you know, at that time, it was very much like, it was it was the Wild West, you know, no one knew what was going on, no one, uh, you know, it was very much style versus style, see which style is the best, and, um, you know, at the time, like, you know, I remember my first fight in 1997, you know, there were, like, legit fears, like, can someone die in here? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, uh, gosh, you know, my very first fight, um, actually, I think he was maybe, I was, like, fourth or fifth fight on the card, but couple fights before me was uh, Shoney Carter. You know, he was fighting against this guy named Laverne Clark. And, uh, yeah, Laverne Clark, just he knocked him out like in 10 seconds or something like that. You know, I see Shoney coming to the back, you know, breathing heavy, sweating, bloody. I'm just like, oh, Jesus Christ, what am I getting into? Uh, But anyways, that was my start uh, to MMA. And eventually, um, you know, I was just looking for some sort of guidance. Uh, Jiu-Jitsu just wasn't really... um, you know it just really wasn't a good fit for me and uh you know i ended up uh, gravitating of course to to tony and uh meeting him at a seminar in iowa and then you know becoming a uh, correspondent students of sorts you know i i'd pop in there just whenever i get time train train in chicago at the old tool and die shop yeah. and uh you know get back to iowa and, and train with the guys there and um yeah and uh but uh you know once uh yeah once i i kind of uh had a little bit more knowledge and experience under my belt. I just felt like, you know, what I learned at the tool and die shop during my time training with Tony really uh, provided the foundation of like, you know, who I was and, and my identity as a mixed martial artist.
2: Sweet. Uh, I just, wish, yeah. Like and so from had... there
3: I went to, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry.
2: I wish we had more time back then, you know, or even now to, to, to train, you know, you were one <laughs> of the good ones.
3: Do you still work out? <laughs> I, I, I do, but you know, I, I'm, I'm a young dad. Well, I'm I'm an old dad. I'm an old ass dad. But like my kids are young, and so uh, you know that's uh, that that just eats up so much of my time. You know, and with the pandemic, um, you know, I I do half ass workouts to stay in half ass shape. Yeah. Oh, and
2: life so- gets <laughs> in the way. I, I I tell so many people this that are interested in training. You know, that life gets in the way for a lot of people. It's just part of it. You know, you know, um, it, it is. It's part of it.
3: Sure. You know, and and kind of looking back on on my career and, and, you know, some of the choices I made, I went to Korea, actually, um, you know, at a time when there was no MMA scene there. And I I eventually became part of the, um, I guess, the uh, beginning MMA scene there in Korea. Um, But I could have, you know, I could have, I guess, you know, if I wanted to devote all of my time towards mixed martial arts, you know, I would have done much better staying in the United States. Uh, after I left Iowa, I went to, uh, train in Hawaii at Grappling Unlimited, uh, Egan Anyway, Barrett Yoshida, uh, Andy Wong, just, you know, a lot of really good guys out there. Um, so yeah, I mean, there were, there were lots of opportunities for me to, uh, to grow as a mixed martial artist, but I, you know, life did get in the way, you know, I had some family in Korea that I wanted to reconnect with. Um, I actually, uh, when I linked up with you guys, I had just learned that I had a sister in Korea, uh, you know, I spent wow. about 20 some years of my life, um, not knowing that I had a sister in Korea. And so um, yeah, once I found out about that, I, you know, I felt like I had to go back and spend some time over there.
0: Nice. I, I think yeah. it's like a cool thing. And it's something that you don't really appreciate. I mean, I don't think I did anyway, when we were younger. Right? Like, you're so focused on this thing that you want to be good at you want to do and then whatever you think that's you and then but later you start realizing, wow, there's like there's more to life than any particular one thing maybe like after you have kids right that become your one thing but but life listen I think overall life it's you know should be a healthy life you should dabble in a whole bunch of different stuff and then learn a whole bunch of different things but but it's hard work right that laid the foundation for everything else you know to me so I think that's cool but it's something that you you know oftentimes you don't really reflect on that until you've had some experience and you look back
2: now you sure. said you're from, i'm you know i'm from cleveland so where in northeast ohio were you from
3: i i wrestled out of like my school was crestwood is uh in manaway ohio so i i guess the oh. i guess the largest urban area near there would be like either streetsboro or kent ohio kent state university
2: yeah yeah you were quite a ways from cleveland but yeah it's it's, I've been to Kent State once. Um, okay. That's okay. Yeah, a tough state. Like, huh?
0: That's a tough wrestling state, to, especially like placing fourth, just to place in the Ohio State Tournament. It's tough.
2: Well, we have the best high school team, generally speaking, St. Ed's. Uh, yes. Lakewood, Ohio, Cleveland. They, they win best in the country almost every yeah. year. They're really, they're really good.
3: Yeah, these these days, I I, I think um, Saint Ed's has been eclipsed by Blair Academy out of Pennsylvania, but actually, I was uh, when I was competing was like this sort of um, really unique time when um, Saint Ed's was uh, yeah was was eclipsed by uh, Walsh Jesuit Academy, and so oh, they had a well.
2: what year are you talking about? Because that was
3: after me, 1994. So I don't know yeah. if you remember this guy Mark Malika. Um, he was. Uh, he was Arizona a red State. shirt Yeah, Arizona State, uh, Arizona State. He was a redshirt, um, uh, I want to say, a national champion. Yep. Um, I want to say that he beat Kurt Angle. Am, am I remembering that incorrectly? I might yeah, be I remembering remember, that.
0: But he, he did win, and then I remember, like, the rough time frame when I used to go to my buddy's house and sit on his mom's bed because that's where the cable box was and watch the NCAA finals on ESPN.
3: Uh, but yeah, so there was, there were a few years when uh, Walsh Jesuit had, uh, you know, they were, they were like the the number one in the nation. And so, um, yeah, yeah, that was, that was, that was my heyday.
0: Yeah, and and, and Blair was, was Alan Freed from Blair? Alan well, Freed was from St. Ed's. St. Ed's. I, yeah, yeah, St. Ed's, I mean,
3: right. Yeah, and so he was he was a few years ahead of me. So, you know, uh, I, I would see him at times at the open mat at Solon. So Solon had this open mat, which was kind of legendary. So all the guys would converge there during the summer. It was it was just like a, a hotbed of, like, training and up-and-coming talent. Yeah, um, yeah Arlen Freed was a scary guy.
0: Freed was a big deal, especially, like, a four-time junior national winner back then. And then uh, when he was in college, he pinned uh, what did he, he pinned Tom Brands one year oh wow okay in like 15 seconds that. boom threw brands right to his back and pinned him and then brands beat him in the ncaa finals that year
3: as a revenge and then you're familiar with his brief stint in uh, mixed martial arts right i didn't now that you mentioned it
0: yes but i i don't really remember i was just the Allen fan uh Allen free fan like in wrestling
3: yeah so he um he had one fight and only one fight. He, uh, Mark Coleman got him a fight in Japan. Oh, nice. Against, uh, against this, you know, kind of skinny, lightweight, uh, you know, who, who you know, definitely was not like national champion caliber, this guy named uh, Sato Rumina.
2: Oh, yeah, well, we know him.
3: <laughs> and so, so Rumina Sato, he, uh, he armoured Alan Freed. Um, and, you know, that was kind of the end of his career. But Alan Freed ended up going back to Cleveland Uh, getting into a bar fight um, and hitting this guy, knocking him out. And I guess the guy fell, hit his head on the concrete, like on a curb or something and died.
0: Oh, wow. Oh, boy. And
3: and so he, uh, yeah, he spent some time in prison because they they tried to use his status as this mixed martial artist to say that he was, you know, kind of a trained killer. Oh, yeah. And I I remember there was... um, yeah, there was, there was just like a lot of heightened drama about that, because at that time, there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of hysteria about MMA, you know, there was, right. you know, uh, John McCain was trying to ban it, human cockfighting, uh, and so Alan Freed was kind of uh, caught in that wave of negative publicity that happened at that time.
1: Yeah, and wow. to harken back, it wasn't even called MMA. Bear this in mind, everyone. It was, you know, NHB, No Holds Barred, no Holds Barred was a big thing. Oh, yeah. You um, forget yeah.
0: No holds barred. That was kind of That's the right. biggest thing.
1: Is shoot fighting was the actual legal term in the state of Iowa because they had like a sanctioning body behind it, but they called it shoot fighting. So it really depended on where you were, and it was sometimes it'd be just like extreme fighting they would call it or whatever, but it was never well, under a banner of a, an actual sport name.
0: But ex- well, listen, a whole about that event extreme fighting, right? That was that was like the... there, there were
3: two extreme fightings. There there was there was the. Battlecade Extreme Fighting, which was like the big event with uh, Mario Sperry, yep. Igor Zanonev. Um, I can't remember. Oh, Half Gracie, John Lewis, um, Eric Paulson, and Matt Hume were fighting under that uh, uh, I think
0: Kevin, promotion. It like Kevin Jackson, maybe. Like, Monday with, fought there too. Kenny Monday fought in Extreme Fighting. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I saw that one in Des Moines. That was a pretty good. It was pretty I, good. I
0: cornered Corner in one of those in Qua Cities when he first started doing that crap.
3: Who were you cornering?
0: Jeff Munson.
3: Oh, I was I was there for that fight. I was yeah. there for that fight. It was it was headlined by Dave Manet versus Shoni Carter.
0: Yeah, and and oh I don't remember much
3: of it. It was kind of a while ago, but it was wild being there. It was it was outdoors. Um mm-hmm. yeah, I remember because uh, I think if you fought to the time limit, it was automatically ruled a draw. But I, yeah. I, I remember I, I feel like Monet really put a beating on Shoney, and yeah, uh, you know, I I was of- there.
1: I remember it. It was put this. It was July in Iowa, outdoors, so humid. Yeah, so it was basically like yeah. the mat was completely wet, slipping around. I mean, it was a. It was the Dave. Yeah, Dave and Shoney's fight. I think Shoney was the the title holder, and so he was defending his title. And it was an a all-out brawl, and they ended up carrying Shoney out, I think, on a stretcher. But they, they, like, laid the belt on top of him as he was leaving because he was the champion. It went to a draw. But it was, like, it was a battle. It was a battle. And so I can't say that he lost or won. It was, it was, it was, was a great fight. What was that place
0: where Shoney used to work on at? Oh, Combat Doe. Yeah, and then you see him. He'd be working there. He'd be like, "Hold on a second, And he'd work for a little while, while, clean up some shit, and jump back in the ring and work out. Be like, "Hold on a second, somebody needs something," and sure, he's got to go get him some stuff, and then come back. Oh, yeah, he would do that
2: something similar to that when he would come to the tool and die shop. You know, he'd be uh, okay. Let me, oh, let me just stretch a little bit, something like that. You know, then get back on there. Same one when I was training him at, at Triton. He's a good guy. He was on the show here.
1: He yeah, a great, he's a, friend, a of the, friend of the group, for sure.
3: Oh, yeah, he's yeah, a good right guy. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Met him in Jap- I met him in Japan when I was fighting over there. Huh? I met Shoni in Japan when I was fighting there. Hey. So I, I was fighting. Uh, we were both on the same card for Pancras. I don't even remember who I was fighting. I just remember, you know, Shoni, he just, he's just like a really loud character, you know, with these outlandish zoot suits. And so he just just yeah. takes up a lot of space.
2: He, he yeah, but to, you know he's really not like that. You know, he's a humble guy, really, and that's like a persona for him, you know. He's really a nice guy.
0: So quiet, really a little yeah, uh, he really a little soft spoken. But but he will wear that uh um uh, that thing that he wears. He will wear, yeah, Mr. wear International. that to, to work out, just that little big cop piece. And he just like yeah. steps like, Come on, let's go and be
3: like, dude, you don't need to do that. Mr. You International, know, man. Just out of curiosity, what, what is your assessment of Shoney? Was Shoney someone who underperformed or overperformed in terms of, like, his talent and what he did in the I, ring?
2: Absolutely, I could say that was uh, – he underperformed. Well, Shoney said it best to me once because I used to tell him, I said, Shoney, if you would just train harder, I could show you all this you – know, da, da, da. he's like, I don't need it. I, I'm, I'm able to win, you know, just basically with, with what I'm doing now um you know the level of meaning the level of effort that he was putting out and for the most part he was telling the truth um so yeah I don't think the world ever got to see Shoney as good as he could have been I really I I think he had more ability than you got to
0: see It was back those days you need like two jobs just to yeah I mean he couldn't do that like Yeah, he couldn't make a living doing that, really, even as many things as he was winning. No,
2: but he's done a lot of stuff. He was doing it at Sancho. He was doing the, uh, you know, amateur wrestling. He did judo. He did kickboxing, the MMA stuff. You know, he's probably got more fights. I would say he's got more fights than anybody that I I know personally.
0: Proven warrior, absolutely.
2: Yeah, yeah. But, no, he could have been – but, you know, he – I don't want to talk about, you know, anything, but – he kind of got jobbed in the UFC, man. You know, um, things just, you know, he should have gotten promoted. You know, he won, and next thing you know, the next show, he's not on it. All right? And the show after that, he's not on it. You know, like like Bruce said, the guy had to work. Man, He had to make some money somehow. It was tough. It's not like it is today, you know. No.
3: Different. I feel, I feel like uh, Shoney had a lot of mileage out of him, especially towards the end of his career um you know and that was that was one thing I, I saw toward the end of my career was was guys that were just really beat up and and maybe should have hung it up a while ago um yeah. how's Joni doing physically
2: i he we we saw him on the show here about a year and a half ago i haven't seen him because i haven't been able to get out but um yeah we're all beat up it, it gets that it catches up to you but um he's still active uh i know that he was doing something a couple years ago with my my friend and martial artist Terry Dow out on any, out on the East coast. Cause they called me and I was talking to him on the phone together. Um, so I would think if somebody threw some cash at him, he'd fight again. I, I, I don't think he's officially <laughs> retired. Is he Joe? Joe, you would know.
1: <laughs> well, as far as I know, yeah, I don't think he's ever retiring, but I don't know when that the was... last time he's fought when we talked to him, it was, it was right in the middle of COVID. So it was, yeah, he was definitely in lockdown. Um, but, yeah, he was quite a character. <laughs> He'd randomly just, like, you know, text me when he was on the bus going somewhere. He <laughs> just yeah, no, The,
2: the, the <laughs> thing is, the, the, the whole – nowadays, you know, MMA, you know, it's different. You know, there's, there's a lot of things that are unspoken that are going on in it, and I think you can read between the lines. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of guys that are full of energy. <laughs> you know, they can keep on going and going and going. So um, it makes it so, for a different environment.
1: Sajin, let's maybe go back. So once you were in Korea, you came back. You've, you've seen it progress through the years because you've been, you trained also at Greg Nelson's gym up until yes. the, what would say, 2010s, probably you were fairly active and even competing a little. Is that correct?
3: Yeah. So I left in, I left uh, Minnesota in 2010. So yeah, my last fight was in 2008, but I was training there until 2010. So, yeah, I got, to, I got to see the sport change, um, de- you know, evolve and develop. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was, you know, we, we had come a long ways since, you know, the, the NHB days. Um, yeah, any, anything specifically that you're interested in hearing about, Brian?
0: I, listen, I want to know, out of all the places you've been, where, what place, you know, was, like, the most fun? What was the toughest?
3: Like, um, what, what, um, which place stood out? And why. I mean different challenges in different places. I went to Hawaii yeah. and, and they had like a really great training room. Um it was it was actually kind of surreal because um you know, I went there and and I didn't I didn't know like I just I mean it was it was a time when the sport was growing. I didn't know who this guy Barrett Yoshida was. He was like a local mm. legend. You know, so I get on the mat with him and um and then everyone like starts gathering around to watch. Right. I'm just like, what the hell is going on? Um, <laughs> you know, and, and eventually uh, you know, he, uh, he gets my back, you know, and everyone's like, that's it. He's done. He's done. It's over, over brother, you know? And um, <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, you know, and, event- and eventually I was able to work my way out and, you know, um, that, you know, that against Barrett was, uh, you know, considered a, a victory. Uh, you know, just, just kind of one of those guys who has, like, just an incredibly bendy and mobile guard. You could just never, like, get him on the ground or, like, hold him still. Um, but was, uh, you know, he was one of those guys that I rolled with that I, that I could never tap. Like, I could just never tap him. I mean, I would right. get close. I would crank on something until, like, I heard crunching and let go. This is a guy. This
0: is too like, much was- for me. He was very active on the bottom, right? He could control you. He worked to control you from wherever he was. It sounded he was, like
3: he was—he right? was awesome. He was awesome. He uh, was—he was like a big influence on me. He was a super interesting guy. Um, I, you know, I'm—I'm I'm worried that I'm—I'm I'm revealing maybe a little bit too much. He had—he um, he, like the way he learned was differently. He was different. He had something. It was kind of like dyslexia but it was spatial dyslexia. Oh, wow. And so he, so he could, if you want to get to point C, right. Uh-huh. And he already knows how to get to point B, which is in between A and C. Uh-huh. He couldn't learn that. Oh, just go straight from point B and eventually you get to point C. Like he had to learn every set of directions new from the beginning and that include movements. So like, you know, if wow. you're going from one move to the next move, he couldn't just learn, like, oh, well, if they do this, then do that. He would have to start all the way at the beginning.
0: Right, right. I, I know what you mean. Wow, that's not easy, like, at all. That's oh. the fucking hard.
3: And and so he, um, you know, also, he was just really, like, he was kind of, you know, maybe it was because of, like, the way he learned differently. He had to just really, like, focus on, um everything and think about it and think things through and think about it again and again. And, um, you know, actually when I, when I kind of hung, hung up the gloves, you know, I was, I was at a point where I was like, you know, I, I, I'm only, I'm not doing enough. Like I go and I train hard and I train hard twice a day. Um, you know, but the guys that like were really doing well, um, so, uh, just to kind of name drop two guys, Jacob Volkman, Nick Lentz, and they're at my, you know, they're at the Academy with me. And those guys, all they would do is just think of ways to, like, get the better of one another, right? They would leave the gym, like, pissed off, throwing things and upset, you know, because, you know, one of them got, the, you know, like, Volklin caught Lentz and something. And so Lentz right. would just ruminate the whole time until he came back the next day with, like, something else. And it was just, like, constant escalation. And so unless you were, like, putting it in the time, 24 hours, you just were not gonna be able to compete and so that was something that I saw early from Barrett um moving on from Hawaii I spent some time in Japan uh training at with uh Ensign Inoue who's who's just a nut he's like he's crazy um you know actually uh yeah yeah just some of the things he did kind of reminds me of uh maybe some of the stories uh, maybe some of Tony's stories about training with uh Radvan yeah Tony I remember you sharing a story with me and and excuse me if this is maybe a little bit too personal, but maybe you want to share it um, about uh, uh, when you were in high school. You'd mentioned that you know you you had some success as a boxer. You know you learn how to wrestle. You're getting a little confident. You're feeling really good about yourself, and you know you were trying yeah. to thank Radvan about uh you know like hey you know thanks for like showing me this. I feel like I can handle myself. You know I'm I'm, I'm finally a wrestler. I. Am I remembering the story correctly, Tony?
2: Yeah, yeah, pretty much. That's it. You know, almost verbatim. You know, uh, I was trying to be very – the guy was different. You know, he was wound different. You know, I was trying to be nice. And, you know, he grabbed it, took me, got me, and popped my elbow. And uh, he said, "Now you are a wrestler. Okay? With his big, thick Polish accent. Yep. Popped my arm, man. Um, Ah. Yeah. And just – that's the only time that he – intentionally hurt me or injured me right and uh it was a crossroads you know i had to think because it took a while for that to heal then i'm like what i don't need to go back to this bullshit i didn't do anything to the guy i was trying to be nice but then you know i i thought it over and you know things yep but you do remember that that's a classic uh, tony had you
0: ever been hurt before or anything like really pop before that or was that like the first good pop
2: uh, like injury injury no yeah. uh Well, okay, let me explain. Yes and no. Yes, that was the first, like, injury. But um, when I was, like, 16, it had nothing to do with him. My back went out. Or, yeah, I was 16. My back went out for the first time, okay? That wasn't necessarily a a back, you know, broken vertebrae. It just went Mm -hmm. out. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's when I first realized, you know, that I had a lifetime of back problems. But, uh, no, that was the first Injury from him, training injury. Now getting jumped, getting stabbed, all that shit, that's a whole different story. You know, so I've been injured and hurt many times before that. But um
0: yeah, he was scared. You sure it wasn't the first time that you were with a fat girl? Sorry, I I I know that's wrong and everything, but I just had to.
2: Yeah, go ahead. Uh but okay, This is a so body shamer. A body
1: shamer.
0: About,
2: I know, I'm so yeah, right? sorry because I'm, about a fat, Egan. I'm
1: it's
0: really. I'm, sorry, I'm the, the worst kind of a, uh, fat person. I'm like a fat person
3: shaming other fat people. I'm a fattest. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, I uh, when I was training with Ensign in Japan, um, you know, when he first got me in the gym, he threw the gloves in front of me. He's like, we're sparring. You know, and Ensign, he was about 200 pounds. I was about like a buck 50, you know, so uh-huh. he put on the gloves and right away, he got me on the ground, mounted me and just started beating the fucking piss out of me just wouldn't stop nose is bleeding just blood all over um actually knocked me out um woke up to him punching me still and that must have happened in like a few cycles and you know eventually like there's just a bloody mess like everywhere you know blood on the walls blood on the floor just you know I, I couldn't even tell like what was bleeding or what wasn't bleeding you know and he's like he's like he's like get up he's like go in the bathroom get a towel He's like go clean that up um you know and so like you know i'm just kind of kind of stumbling my way to the bathroom you know wiping up blood while while i'm bleeding you know i'm kind of disoriented uh you know and later on he pulled me aside and he's like he's like you know he's like if you didn't keep fighting like i would have he's like i would have never trained you he's like but you know you kept fighting he's like it's a good job <laughs> and then he gave me like some pointers on like mountain escapes like you know i was mounted on you and you know you you didn't block my leg at all you just tried to like block the arm you just block the leg so anyways um uh that guy was just he was yeah he was very crazy just you know maybe kind of old school like that uh so anyways that was that was another uh place that i trained that was tough um that's
0: a
2: good
3: story yeah i mean there were. i'm sorry
0: that that's a great story but you know like you do that nowadays right people like
3: Different times, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, too. yeah, for sure, for sure. Although Ensign, he you know, he was, uh, you know, he was born in Hawaii, so he's Japanese American, um, but had, yeah, he was, he was just a very interesting character. Just, you know, maybe had a few screws loose. Uh, oh, him a... and this guy, this guy Nori were just uh, Nori Fumi uh, Yamamoto um, were just very unhinged and just kind of uh yeah had their own thing going on it it was was purebred omia was the name of their gym
0: listen you earlier you said something and i was going to ask you this like you were saying all that they were nuts have you ever met a normal wrestler after high school like at any gym that anybody that was semi-normal i don't think i have like normal in the sense like they're like ordinary everyone i've met that whether they're good or not, if they end up somewhere and then work out, they're like extraordinary in some way or nuts.
3: For sure. For sure. Although to be honest with you, Bruce, I think there's, there's like a very short list of, of, you know, the, the really elite wrestlers that, that I I actually liked, you know, usually, usually those guys just really rub me the wrong way. Jerky. You know,
2: I you guys probably have met more of them than I have, but in the boxing world, most of the boxers, I, I'll say most of them have been awesome, you know. I, I, except I knew a couple after their career they they got in they got in trouble mainly with drugs, you know, and they became different. But because of the drug use, probably, and um, they're gone now. They were younger, well, they were right around my age, but they they've been passed away for for quite a few years well but, but like
0: um, even just the fact that you have to like the grind you have to enjoy the pain you have to like the process you got to get through that none of that is like in the realm of like normalcy you know yeah. like that big part of it and then that in turn makes people like do maybe not crazier things but just more loose and not so be attached to like <coughs> excuse me, societal norms like like, wailing on you as an initiation. Wanted to see how you're going to react and if you're going to stick it up. That's super old school. Like, I hear that. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. I wish somebody would beat the fuck out of me. <laughs> right?
2: Yeah, remember how. And, and then you tell me I'm hard. worthy
0: afterwards, right? Because I know I'll keep fighting.
2: Our training was rough. And then it just got to the point where people were complaining about it all the time on the internet. They would never put up with this story about I- I- Egan Inuway. Um, you know, so I, I, I just kind of like, well, even now we, uh, uh, Sajun, we, we were talking about certain guys that we train, we can't even do the rips. They, they, they just won't do it. They're like, Nope, not gonna, not, you're not going to rough me up like that. I'm not going to feel that pain. So it's frustrating for me because you know, that it's, it, for example, it's like, let's say you're a spicy chef cook. And that's what your specialty is, spicy food. And then they tell you, don't make it hot. I don't want any spices on it. You know, well, you're missing the best part. Um, that's a good example. For sure. For sure. It, it is. No, and you know, because then, you know, I remember, because uh, I took a lot of heat back then from, you know, these people. And uh, in the 90s and early 2000s, and um, yeah, you got damned if you do, damned if you didn't. You know, Tony's too rough. He's too rough. He's too rough. All right, then I'll go super easy. Oh, his shit don't even, don't even hurt, you know. So you couldn't win, but, um, yeah, they wouldn't be able to go through what Egan did or what I went through in my training with Rod Von. There's no way. Um, these the they just, it's been proven that there was no way they could go through it because they bitched all the time.
1: Sergeant, what was uh, your gym in Korea like? Any takeaways on that, or you want to share?
3: Oh, um. You know, I, I actually had a chance to, so we had an MMA gym, which was, which was great. Um, You know, and I, I can't really, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess what I would probably talk more about is I got to train at the National Sports University. Uh, I got to train with the freestyle wrestlers oh. there. Yeah, yeah. And they fucking hated me. Oh God, those guys fucking hated my guts. Why? Um, they were, they were pissed, uh, you know, cause uh, there's, there's just like, a persistent uh you know discrimination towards uh, mixed race koreans
0: you, got- you were not korean enough
3: yeah i mean it was yeah i mean like uh-huh. if i if i would have kind of played the role of the white guy and like spoken english and like shook hands and you know kind of obnoxious took up a lot of space they would have you know found a workaround for that but they you know just it's really uncomfortable for south koreans to be around people like me um there's a lot of history that um you know that it's kind of folded into bodies like mine. Yep. Um, you know, that we we're, people weren't allowed to speak about it for decades, you know, talk right. about it, you disappear. Right? Um, so anyways, uh, yeah, those guys hated my fucking guts. And so I went there, it was just like kind of walking into a hostile room every time. Um, and you know, people just literally trying to hurt you. Um, and you know, occasionally we would get people who were like members of the national team. There was an Olympian who came in and, um, was trying his best to drop me on my head, you know, like he was trying to suplex me on like onto my head. Um, he ended up, um, yeah, he ended up tearing up my knee really good. And, uh, you know, I was off my feet for a couple months, but it was, you know, it was one of those situations where like, you either, like, you either get better and fight back or you leave. Um, you know, and that's, you know, that's just how so many wrestling rooms are. And, um, you know, I, I kind of I kinda of hated it. And i you know, maybe that's sort of why I, I feel a little bit of animosity towards um yeah, maybe some of some of the higher level wrestlers that I've encountered. Um it's just that ultra competitiveness that sort of permeates everything in their lives and it's just, you know, um yeah, this sort of uh, never say die attitude about shit that just does not matter at all, you know.
0: Because they don't under listen, when you're younger, this is what I was saying earlier. You don't you don't realize there's more to it, and you're not only defined by this one thing that you're doing at that moment. You you should be a more well-rounded person than just that.
3: What was interesting was I found that with uh, you know MMA that people were super humble. You know, people were yeah. super humble, and there was just there was no posturing, especially like in the earlier years. You know, just because you would get on the mat, you'd really see who is better. You know, there was no question about it. So there's yeah. no need to like pretend
0: that that gym you were in though like volkman and some of those guys i mean listen that he's like a what part of a national champion team that didn't have any national champions they were all grinders and wrestling for jay robinson back in those days and those guys there were every one of them were nuts i can tell you that they were all a little bit of uh, psychotic in a good hard-ass crazy way
3: Interesting story about Volkman just to kind of underline that, um, you know, one, you know, Brock Lesnar, he would, he was, you know, at our gym as well. And so he had like a whole stable of heavyweights that would train with him. And, uh, you know, they would, they would train with us at times and they were really big boys. And so, um, you know, one day, uh, Volkman, he's got, uh, he's got this guy, he's like maybe two sixty or something on the ground. He's got him in a neck mount, you know, just grinding his knee in this fucking guy's neck. And, uh, you know, the, one of the guys at the gym just kind of nudges me and says, you know what, Sergeant, in Volkman's mind, he's every bit as big as that guy he's got on the ground.
0: Maybe bigger. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Bigger. No, those guys are all bad.
1: So I went to, you know, a couple of seminars with Coach Nelson. uh, And, you know, and obviously we have a connection. I even visited the gym one time. And he told me that Volkman was the strongest person he ever met pound pound for pound by far just physically not just the farm boy strength right not just uh you know not in the weight room but
3: sure for sure you know and just yeah it was it was weird because it was like um I don't know it was it was like how do I even say it was like positional you know what I'm saying you know like you put him in a weight room he's not going to throw around a lot of weight um you know even like you know doing like training or conditioning he's not you know he's not like superior in that sense, but you get him on the mat, you put him in weird positions. You just, he was just another guy that was impossible to take down. You know, I, I you know, I, I, he was one of those guys that like we'd have goes and I'd just be hammering at him as hard as I could, or I'd get him when he's exhausted. I just couldn't take that guy down because he was, uh, How much well, he was, yeah, he he was, was three-time All-American, a three time All American. So
1: that's okay. <laughs> I think yeah. needs, if he's those wrestling credentials that, you know, you could, and, and get, he's a lot bigger. Yeah.
2: Well, right? I, I want to, Throw in something. And, of course, I have to apologize because my memory is not what it was. But through Mark Schultz, I met this guy who was living in uh, Wisconsin, humongous wrestler, 300-pound guy, okay? And, um, again, I totally forgot his name. Um, Real nice. And he told me that um, he was working out with uh, um, Doug Blueball. When at one of Blue Boss camps, when Doug Blue Ball was 50 years old, 50, and Doug Blue Ball, as you know, you met him, um, he was uh, um, not a big guy, you know. Um, he wrestled at middleweight, and as he got older, he was probably 200 pounds, whatever. He said, uh, this, this big guy, this big wrestler, said, it took me five minutes to get him down. And he was fifty years old and, and not in shape, and, and this guy was an all-American wrestler in college and everything, and much much younger, probably still in his twenties, late twenties. And it that's that's how good Doug Bluebaugh was even at fifty. That's incredible. Well, you know, you can find him on
0: the YouTube still, right? Especially his Who? gold medal match. Wasn't he? A, did he have a come come from behind match where he ended up yes, sticking he the won guy? His-
2: he he beat Habibi, who was who was considered the best wrestler in the world, and he pinned him. Um, but what Doug Bluebaugh told me that the time that I met Sajin, he said at the lunch at the dinner, he said, "Now I may be wrong with the year, it could be '64 or '1968 because he won the '60 Olympics." But he said <clears throat> um, he was better, much better of, of a wrestler, in either '64 or '68 than he was when he won the gold. But because of how the Olympic rules were back then, he was disqualified forever, forever wrestling again for, you know, he must have made money somehow. They were really strict back then. But, um, you know, he could have won probably more gold medals than what he did. But the, you missed the story when your camera got disconnected, but this big 300-pound All-American.
3: Oh, no, I I, 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 heard, oh, you, I heard you. You heard, you.
2: heard me? Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, mean, what, I mean, that's how good – But when I was with Doug Bluebaugh, that's the time he broke my finger, actually. Um, But he was so excited because I asked him at the dinner, show me your front headlock because that's what he was known for. You know, um, and, uh, you know, I just put it on me, man. I want to feel it. You know, shit, I want to feel your front headlock. Um, The guy was just uh, amazing to me. Uh, A a wonderful wrestler and probably would have been – like if our ages were the same, he'd have been like, we would have been together, you know, because he had that nasty wrestling kind of thing, Um, hardcore. Uh, and, and just, you know, just knew a lot of dirty tricks. And uh yeah, he was just a great, great guy. Just Doug Blueball was one of the nicest guys I've ever met.
3: I, I remember having a lot of fun at that seminar, watching you and, and Doug Blueball, like compare notes and exchange, like, okay. you know, well, hey, have you ever twisted the wrist like this? And, and yeah. you know, and just kind of back and forth was, was a lot of fun to watch.
2: Well, the, the thing is, you know, you could, that's a guy who's, who you can pick his brain, learn something from. He still wants to know things. Luthez was like that, want, want, keep on learning, 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 exchanging of ideas. But make no mistake about it, even though Doug came from a strict uh, you know, amateur background, no, he he understood every little concept that I was throwing at him. He got it. I mean, he knew. As a matter of fact, um, when we were on the parterre position, and he just got so excited because let's not drop names, but the guy that was showing it wasn't doing it right. And out comes Doug Bluebaugh, gra- just grabs my fingers, like just cranks it in you know, snap my finger and I loved it. It was like, awesome, man. This is so cool. Then he puts the, um, well, it, it's like a short arm scissor, but he didn't put the, the short arm in it, but you know, it, it was just w- one of the moves that he used to like to do. And you know, it, it's painful. It would be considered illegal, you know, potentially dangerous. Cause it, it's technically a submission. Um, that's just how his mindset was, but he was so excited. To see that, I mean, the guy was just so excited. I loved it, didn't you?
3: Absolutely,
1: absolutely. It was it was
3: a lot of good energy.
1: Yeah, and wow. even just to remember the technique, he was talking about how if the guy's pressed down and his elbows in, you can still get two fingers under the essentially the knob of the elbow, and you can lever out. If you that's could just get the two fingers in, it didn't matter. He's like, I don't care how strong it is on camera's his weight is. So that's just one I, one takeaway, and uh, you know the technical finesse of of understanding that on your opponent.
0: And, yeah, the and you principles. Can't, right, and then you got to go and take it, right? You can't just wait for the guy to give it to you. You grab those fingers, and you just start yanking them.
2: <laughs> well, the thing is, you know, how many people in the world, you know, have gone to his wrestling camps through the years, uh, high school aged or whatever, you know, and probably were never, um, you know, never got into this aspect of it with him, right? So, you know this was an an occasion that weekend where it was like show show your most ruthless base you know your shit just let's go for it um, yeah it was just nice i wish i could have i wish i could have kept in touch you know but you know how life is things you know i'm in chicago and he was wherever oklahoma i think he was living
0: i always had coaches that used to be like hey this is the way to do it legally this is the way to do it illegally. Uh, don't do it this way. And then, by the way, if you do it this way, you choke the guy out, right? Yeah. And then sometimes before the coach, before the ref catches it, you could get the two and then you turn them over. It's over. You know? like Boxing two. I've, yeah, I've heard all good that, good. right? And, and then the, you know, I mean, come on, checking the oil. Like, there are coaches would be like, oh, you just stick it fucking in there, dude. Get two in there. <laughs> You know, be cool. other people would be teaching, like, hey, just scoop the, you know, scoop. I had coaches would be like, just fucking stick it in there. They were freeze and then, Bruce, that was your
1: specialty move. I mean, you know, these, these, these guys that are bitching about ripping now, they they ain't seen nothing yet, man, when it came to yeah. the Bruce Lee butt drag.
2: Well, you the know, thing, the thing, yeah. Lu, Lu, Lu Thez was all about showing our, uh, not sh- you know, uh, not, not techniques so much, but like setups and little variations, um, you know, because Lou wasn't the type of guy that knew a million submission holds. You don't need that. Right. Um, but it was, and he, he would show me like, Oh, Ed Strangler Lewis would do a ride like this, uh, at, uh, uh, Ray Steele. This is how he would do a, a hold, you know, a special way. And then he would tell me these great stories of violence. <laughs> I mean, you know, on, on how, um, Ray Steele took out uh, uh, a national champ. I'll think of his name. Uh, he came to the gym looking for some some heat, and he got it. He got his ankle sna- snapped. Um, and it, the name will come to me. Uh, but yeah, these you know these are these are just great. You know, just great to hear how because Lou was back in the day where you know the guys before him. They were the last of the real shooters, man, the guys that really knew the hooking. Not all of them did, but some did, and Lou was in those circles. He, you know, he was in the right place at the right time, um, like, like me with, with Rod Vaughn. So, um, and, you know, Rod Von was from those guys' era, because Rod Von was older than Lou. Um, but, um, boy, I can't think of this guy's name right now, but he actually, that, that got snuffed. He also might have done American Judo too. I think he, Ber, uh, 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 Ber, uh, Bernie something. It, my memory is very Jim bad. Pedro.
0: Now. No, it's not. So no, no,
2: it was Bernie, Bernard.
0: Hey, it, what, it, while you're thinking of that, let, let me ask Sergeant the question. So, uh, favor, what, what's your favorite move, favorite submission, and, and then how do you like to
3: set it up? What, what's your go to? or what's the Probably one thing that you get? The one thing that I get all the time um I don't know it, it, you know it just it it depends it just really depends. I mean I, I get you know cuz I I never really try to force anything. Um you know one move that I feel like I've I've spent a lot of time finding is is my my top wrist lock um, uh my double wrist lock, you know just you know either down below or up top. Um what else? Um, I've worked a lot on north-south choke as well. That's just a position that I tend to naturally get in. I, 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 I become a decent guard passer. And so, you know, I, I, I tend to just kind of keep rotating. Um, you know, I like, to, I like to do a lot of head control, especially against, you know, there's a lot of guys, they play the guard, they're real kind of squiggly and wormy. And so, you know, I just kind of clamp down on the head to sort yeah. of slow down their movement, pass. And then naturally that seems to sort of transition in north-south position. So those are my, I guess my my strong my strong points. Leg locks have always been uh, something that I've relied on. Although, um, yeah, there's a there's a whole new like leg lock meta, you know, with with Donna and his whole hit squad. And so that's 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 an area where I need to catch up.
0: So you're so like you're like you sound like a solid old man at this point. Nothing too flashy, fancy, just. Get what you can, where you can, and
3: then whatever is given you, right? You just grab it and work catch as, your way there. Catches, catch can. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how about how about the rest of you? I have a go to move or submission. While. I
0: play. I'm a ping pong player now. I uh, <laughs> I don't even have my gear here, but I mean my mom's. But um, I told my ping pong story not too long ago over COVID, where I was trying to, you know, I mean, I w- I stay active throughout the years, but because of work and all that, I, I just you know, being away from the mat, Uh, I would do various workouts to stay in shape. And I figured I'd go back to playing some garage ping pong, but except for real, long story short, I I was getting my ass kicked by everybody, like seven-year-old boys, girls, all the way up to like 70, 80-year-old, everyone just, you know, it doesn't matter. Grandma, grandpas, whatever. So, so now that's the thing I'm trying to get better at. I had to go seek help. I had to get coaches. I had to like, oh,
3: eat right, exercise, maybe pray a little bit. (laughs) Do you take any consolation knowing that you could hook any one of those people when you wanted to? You know, it's, okay, so
0: if I'm in front of somebody and I'm like, yeah, I could beat them up and blah, blah, blah. But when, I'm telling you, when that ball's coming at me and then they look like they're going to take a big swing, I get a little nervous. You know? "Ah!" (laughs) know? And he hits my finger, I'm like, oh, that really (laughs) hurts. But you know, but yeah. (laughs) I look at him and I'm like, man, I just wanna I just wanna be you with your own crutches. But I can't even be you in team (laughs) fog. How
3: about the rest of you?
1: Uh, the, probably the biggest takedown that I always absorbed from Bruce was the front headlock, the snap down. So I got to be decent with that, especially as, you know, person over six foot being able to, to use that into a kind of a dominant position. And then, you know, I was always a top wrist locker. So I kind of, I would say stuck with, stuck with that, even through time, you know, it's still, it's still there even when I try to put it on, but I'm not all that active now, especially post COVID.
3: The last time we got on the mat, Brian, you uh you got me with a top wrist lock.
1: Right, right. That's true. That's true. You did tap me out. Don't, don't say it's not like I dominated you the whole time. I did get you with a top wrist lock, though, on a, at some wrist point. Locks yeah, leg it. Locks
2: a... for me, I like. Okay. I like cranks and neck neck chokes, you know, but top wrist locks and leg locks. But, I, you know, getting on Piggy and backing on Bruce earlier, you know, it really is the simple stuff that's always going to be there. The newfangled stuff. They may be nice. It may be good. But, you know, you can always defeat it by the shortest route, you know, go straight to it. Um, the joints can only go in so many ways. So it, that's the thing. Um, and Lou once said, as you get older, because I always wrestled fast, and Lou was like, you'll learn to slow down, be a little more defensive. Well, I don't know if I ever will because, I mean, I'm just like a, you know, I'm just hyper kind of guy. But, um, you know, I, yeah, I'm like, I'm like you, uh, Sajin. I don't want to just say what I want to do because, I, you know, maybe with a guy build a certain way, uh, I always go for the easiest thing, you know. So it could be a, a neck on one guy or an ankle on another guy or an arm bar on another guy. It'll be something, though. So it's just up uh-huh. to, you know, you to decipher what it is that you think you can get. I didn't get it. Did um, get I said, I'm going to
0: stick these two in your ass. I tell my ahead of time, <laughs> this is what I'm going for. In whatever position we're in, this is what I'm going to be going for. And then I surprise them. And then I go with the left hand.
1: <laughs> you got the switcheroo, man.
0: Yeah, I threaten you with the right, and then I yeah. go with the left.
1: That's a shell game. Nutshell Great. game is another story. I'm hey. you,
0: like, you get a little older. You're like, you know what? If that's going to make life a little easier,
1: <laughs> so, so be it. I got a question for Sajin. So you, you did touch on like, you know, the big, the leg lock craze, and it gets very intricate with multiple appendages attacking one in, you know, this, you know, and, and comp- grappling competition settings. Do you have an opinion about that approach or what you're seeing with grappling competitions and how applicable it is to like MMA? Cause some of what they do, I just think you're asking for an ass whipping If it's like, you're trying to do this and somebody's going to punch you, but that's just me. And granted it's a different rule set, but.
3: I mean, Speaking you know, there, there's I there there's just so much I wanna say meta these days in terms of um the ground game. You know, one thing that I that I was telling you, Brian, and, and you know, I just like to mention here since it's you know, we're on a you know, Tony's podcast is is that we we are in a post catch wrestling world. Um you know, there was there was a lot of guys who talked shit about Tony's videos, who also religiously watched them and, like, folded in those techniques into their own games. Um, you know, these days, I feel like um, jiu-jitsu has, has taken, like, type of uh, approach. And so I feel like, you know, jiu-jitsu in, its, in and of itself, there's just so many varieties. You know, you have top players, you have bottom players, you have half-guard players, you got people who are, like, you know, deep half-guard players, um, you know, and... I feel like a lot of times people can get lost in the intricacies of like certain series of techniques. And so, yeah, I I would agree. Then, you know, a lot of times, you know, you see those guys trying fancy shit and, you know, just getting bludgeoned by, um, you know, some pretty unpolished guys who just have heavy hands on the ground. Um, at the same time, like, you know, there, there are people who can, who can make it work. So I I think it just kind of, um, depends on who it is. And then also, you know, you just got to, um, I don't know. I feel like you just can't try to force something to happen. You know, you go in a fight, you're like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leg lock this guy. Like, you know, I think you're looking for trouble. Um, but if you kind of, yeah, if it presents itself in a fight and you take it, then you know, more power to you. Uh, in terms of, um, I guess grapplers, and I'm seeing in MMA, um, you know, people like Gary Tonin. Um, I, I'm, am I butchering his name? Tonin, Tonin, Tonin.
1: Tonin, I <laughs> Anyways, believe. Yeah.
3: Uh and uh Ryan Hall are, are two guys that, you know, I feel are like very much top-notch grapplers who bring a lot of that meta to MMA. I've I've seen a lot of guys not use it successfully uh either. Uh for myself, I mean it you know, gosh, it's it's been such a long time that I've been on the mat like with a set of gloves punching people that I I I don't know if I, I really could speak on it uh like in an informed way. You know I tore my retina in 20, 2009 and uh, yeah I lost my eyesight for a little bit and that was that was really scary I thought actually I was I thought my right right eye was gone like I was like oh wow. this is it um, and so uh yeah so I haven't you know so I tapered down my contact until I left in 2010 and then after that I was like you know what I've got you know, I've got other things I can do with my life. This isn't, this isn't something that I, you know, have to rely on. And, and it's not like the only thing I know or the only like skill I have that I can parlay into a career. And so from there, I kind of transitioned out of, uh, yeah, of, of, you know, uh, I guess, live sparring. Uh, and speaking of injuries, I'm just wondering how all of you are holding up these days. What kind of uh, injuries are, are you struggling with? Tony, I know that you have struggled for the longest time with back injuries, back problems. Everything. How's your health these days? Mine's not good
2: um, with me. You know, so mainly um, the, well, my, my arms, but uh, but my brain injuries, you know, that, the, you know, I, I I've, I've suffered a lot of concussions and I was worn 20 some years ago. Well, I had an aneurysm in 93, so that's coming up on 30 years. But about 20 years ago, like around 2002, um, I got a secondary diagnosis. And, uh, and then basically what, what the one doctor ended up saying is that one of these days it's going to start, your memory loss is going to probably become like, like a floodgate, all right? It, you might see some subtle stuff. But then when it hits, it's going to probably hit full, full blast. So it's, it's there. You know, it's, I'm in that yeah. now. I'm in that f- severe memory loss um, thing where I struggle with, with uh, um, both short-term and, long, and long-term memory. Um, uh, so that's like a big thing. And then plus, you know, taking care of my mother who's got Alzheimer's full-time and the stress of that, and I have no help. You know, it's just basically I'm an only child. She's an only child. So that that was the catalyst more than likely that probably put it over the edge. Um, so that's the biggest thing that I'm concerned with
0: uh, for me. It, you're making this very hard for me to make fun of you. I had like a lot of good jokes I was going to fire away. Well, go ahead. I won't remember when, them. When you, you had like back, ahead. when you have problems <laughs> that when you realize stuff, I was going to say, yeah, the doctor told him herpes forever. I had like all kinds of shit lined up and then he goes like down like a, Whole
2: thing it. where I'm just like, okay. It's okay. Go for it. I won't remember tomorrow. It's fine. <laughs>
3: That's <You know>. True. <laughs> you know. Tony, how oh, uh, shit. do you have any other secondary type of uh, issues like coordination? Is your coordination still okay? Yeah. Balance?
2: Uh, I get balance issues now and then. But, you know, what happens is, like, we just filmed an instructional video, like, in December. So, um, once I was going, like, once I was focused and on, then I'm on. Then I can keep, I can roll. You know, I can get her going. But, yeah, I get um, balance issues quite a lot and confusion. You get mixed up. You know, like um, you mentioned um, Barrett and, and this spatial dyslexia. You know, I'm starting to think that I have something similar to that because I really get mixed up with my directions. And I don't mean like hang a right, hang a left. But, like, you know, um, like it, it's it's hard for me to – see things like I used to see things, you know? Um, so like if something's wrapped, like a twist tie, I can't figure out how to undo it, okay? If I'm taking a, a, a bolt off or I'm, try- or I'm trying to tighten it, either way, I've got to f- think about this. I know the righty-tighty, lefty-loosey, but if I'm on a different angle, I can't figure it out. I don't know which way, which way, is, righty-t- which way is righty-tighty, which way is lefty-loosey. Um, so I have to actually stop. And, and figure it out and i get frustrated because I, I i'm consciously knowing that i got to make these adjustments it's very frustrating so those are some of the things that i go through but who cares nobody gives two shits i still gotta survive <laughs> right so i figure it out
3: you know well i mean i think they have, have I, a plan and i, and I uh, think as we get older you know um we we have to develop workarounds maybe just yeah. in regular life and, and on the mat too like we, we're all like hobbled with injuries and, and problems and trick knees and so you know we have to find workarounds uh, in, in a lot of different areas of life right. so well, I, you know, I, I wanted dull...
0: to... oh sorry go ahead yeah i'm sorry are you
3: done with like all
0: listen you keep going i'm not going to be able to make fun of you ever again so no
2: i i was able to whip myself in shape for this video Um, that we did in December, I felt, I came in light, Uh, I had a target weight, Uh, so when I made the lost art of hooking in 1999, I weighed 225, when I made, when I made the snap no tap in 2009, uh, 2008, I actually filmed it, I weighed 225, so I I was, I'm always consistent, so I said, well, I'm going to come in under 220 for sure, Um, you know, and I did, I came in like 217 for this video, So, you know, I've been trying to keep my weight down, all you know, as I get older. Um, So, yeah, I was able to do that, you know. uh, And I felt I moved well for my age. You know, I was still quick. I felt okay. But I was (laughs) – I brought a whole bunch of aspirins, and I was popping aspirins to make sure that, you know, my back didn't act up or my knees or something like that. So, um, yeah, I can – video.
1: Joe and I visit Tony you know every once in a while to help film some of his internal content and when he's on he's on I mean I don't uh, he's the same guy I met 25 years ago so you know in those moments but yeah the day-to-day is you know obviously Tony can speak to um I I I've been I've been feeling good personally Sergeant I've been doing a lot um I haven't been on the mats for a while but I've been doing a lot with like mobility training and 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 lifting even like light Olympic style lifting and I've got a buddy now who is a yoga instructor, so working on handstand techniques. So, um, feeling so from a yeah from a physical standpoint, you know, despite having some injuries, I've been able to like have a good chiropractor that I worked with a lot last year to work on therapeutic. How long can you hold a
0: handstand for now?
1: Not very long. I'm just like basically, (laughs) I just bounce off the wall and that's good. Try to keep and but that's a brand new thing. That's like a month, less than a month. I've been doing that just once a week with him. So, um. That's thinking versatile. about, yeah, yeah
0: Hey, I will say this. I tell everybody like I don't really I don't really eat meat anymore, and that has helped with all my joint problems for me personally. all my swollen, all my like normal aches and pains that I used to have, all gone.' more vegetables, more fruit, and then just eat better and then just like three weeks four weeks, it's gone. it was crazy. Okay.
2: Bruce, how much dare do well, you get,
0: though?
2: I want to say something about Sajin because, you know, when I met him over, well, 25 years ago, basically, uh, I, yeah. it was probably – was 1998, I think, but um, yeah. close enough. Um, you know, not only is are you a, a, a great, humble, you know, thing, humble guy, this and that, but you're a real student of the game and you were one of the really most talented guys um, that, you know, we've ever, I can speak on behalf of the other guys as well, you know, that we've ever run across, you just had that ability, you know, and, um, you know, I know you're, you're not a name dropper and this and that, but I know that you, have you know, you've, uh, you've got on a few of the famous guys, you know, and you held your own and, and came out victorious, let's put it that way. Um, I know this and, uh, you know, you've always been, um, a guy that I missed. And I, I know we used to keep in touch on the Internet, and then when you moved to Korea. As a matter of fact, I just asked Joe today. I didn't know where you were even living. I didn't know if you were still in Korea or not because, we you know, we lose touch. But, um, yeah, you were one of the, the good ones because back then we had a lot of guys that would come through the gym that, you know, um, turned out to be nice guys but did have kind of like an attitude. And, you know, then you kind of got to get through that. Well, you never brought the attitude. You, we never had to break through that attitude. Like, you know, we never had to do an Egan you know, Inouye on you to, to get you to be in the right frame of mind. You were just there. Um, and, you know, I, I wish I had a, a hundred guys like you. I, my, my life would have been better on and off the mat because you're, you're as good as a person as you are on the mat. That's a fact.
3: Well, you know, Tony, one, one thing that I wanted to mention and has always kind of been a little bit of a conflict for me, and I, I guess maybe not as much these days, you know, uh, you know, I trained under you and I, I consider you like my, my first legit kind of real coach, um, you know, kind of the imprint that my time at the tool and die shop had on me just sort of carried with me, um, you know, for the rest of my career you know, I get on a mat with people and they'd be like, oh, you know, you, you move differently or like, you're, you're not a jujitsu guy. And like, people just like pick up on it right away. Um, you know, but I was always reluctant to just be like, I'm a catch wrestling guy, you know, cause um, you know, there was, as you know, there were a lot of people who are, you know, kind of uh, making false claims about like their training or their lineage. Yeah. Um, and so I, I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to like, I just didn't want to like, overstep my, my boundaries, you know, and so, but, um, at the same time, um, I did want to let people know, like, Hey, you know, catch wrestling is what I do. Um, and so, so yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've been kind of, uh, an informal ambassador kind of internationally for, for catch wrestling, you know, and it's just been really interesting, you know, those guys who, uh, you know, who I, who I trained with in Japan at, uh, uh purebred Omiya, they trained under, uh, you know, tiger mask, like some of them did. Noburo Asahi, he was the, oh, yeah. the lightweight shooter champion, he's, he's a guy who trained under Tiger Mask, so there was just a lot of diff, uh, just a lot of interesting, um, you know, contact or, or or knowledge of catch wrestling when I was in Korea, you know, that was something that people didn't know about either, and so, the, you know, a lot of people were very interested in it, uh, you know, they did, uh, they did a little piece in a magazine, you know, where, you know, I was demonstrating some, you know, catch wrestling techniques that I picked up from you at the tool and die shop. Oh, yeah. um, so yeah, you know, I tried to be an ambassador. Um, you know, just lots of guys that I met like all over the world had things to say about you. Um, I don't, have you ever, have you ever spent time with Eric Paulson? Physically? No, I've spoken to him on the phone, but no,
2: we've actually never met in person.
3: Yeah. Really interesting guy. He had a, had a lot of great things to say about you. I met him in 1999 in Hawaii and, um, Met him again in 2009 in Minnesota. And he's like, oh, I remember you. You're Tony Chichenny's guy from uh, Hawaii. (laughs) And then he gave me, he actually, yeah. And 10 years later, he gave me a rundown of our grappling session. He's like, yeah, you you tried to do a knee bar on me. Um, But anyways, had lots of good things to say about you as well as, uh, you know, Josh Barnett. Um, just a lot of and like, so you're, you know, uh, you've definitely had a real impact on the sport and I feel like it, it just has never really been uh, acknowledged, acknowledged like it should have. Been.
2: Well, thanks. You know, yeah, it has. I mean, I kind of got pushed under the carpeting or whatever swept under the rug, I guess would be the thing to say. And uh, you know, whatever. I mean, what can you do about it? You can't turn back. The thing is we have the videos out there. They've been out there forever. Um, and My approach, excuse me, has always been more combat oriented, more like, you know, self-defense or, you know, like hard fighting, you know, um, that would have, even to this day, many tournaments, my moves or my techniques, my approach are still illegal, you know, even though like Javier, he's won some world titles, but even still, he's got to modify some of the stuff I showed him um, for each different organization which could be, man, that could be, I don't know how we could pull that off. But, um, yeah, I wish things were different. I'm not going to sit here and and lie. I wish that the shit would have turned out differently for me because maybe by now I would have had a better base and I could, like, relax in, in my old age as opposed to now it's worse than it was 20 years ago. But seeing you after all these years, Bruce is on, Joe, Brian, you know, when we filmed the video a month ago, uh, we had a bunch of uh, some of the other guys that you know that I used to work with back in the old days. We, I wanted to make it kind of like a reunion thing, um, but you know what? You never know what can happen, uh, my uh, Sejin. Okay, I, I always call you Mike.
3: Um, oh, it's fine. I what... mean, that 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 that's how you met me, right? Yeah, I Yeah, right. I didn't take, you know, I wasn't using my Korean name then, so it's fine. It's totally fine. Well, we
2: don't we don't know what tomorrow will bring. You know, there all it takes is a resurgence. Uh, maybe this video series that I film with um, BJJ Fanatics will, will be the uh, the reigniter. I don't know. I have no input right now. Um, I, I know that it hasn't reflected in any sales on my website you know, for any of my current videos, but I just have to play a wait-and-see attitude. Do I think it's going to make a difference? No, I don't. Um, I think that it would have to take – a dedicated campaign by somebody who was an expert world-class marketer guy that could just get me out there. But I've been saying that for 25 years. I don't know shit about marketing, but, um, but no, I, I, I appreciate all the, 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 the nice things that everyone says, even if I don't hear it, it's nice to know it, but it's nice to have guys like you guys who are there still trying to put out the good word. Um, But now you mentioned Tiger Mask. I'm assuming you're you're mentioning Sayama, right? Yes. Okay. So, you know, just like wrestling has different American or judo, whatever, Brazilian jiu-jitsu schools, the Japanese style of catch wrestling is different um, than what I do. And it's also blended because a lot of those guys, now I can't speak for Sayama per se, but I do believe he cross-trained in uh, Sambo and something else, maybe a little bit of judo. Um, I don't remember now. Again, my memory fails me a lot. But, um, yeah, on the ground, they're different. They move different. They submit differently. It's – so for people that may be watching or listening to this podcast, you know, not all styles – not all catch wrestling styles are the same. You know, not all gyms are the same. Not all boxers' boxing styles are the same. Yeah, it's it's different. So you showed probably an older style – the hardcore like ripping hooking i should say the hooking style whereas they 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 came from a different kind of element
1: was what, what i'm just curious what did you see was the biggest difference uh, in application or in training when you were there with that lineage sager uh they weren't
3: they weren't wrestlers i mean just mm-hmm. straight up they weren't they weren't wrestlers um yeah. and i mean i think yeah they were they were like they're really good submission guys. Um, but they they didn't have the type of uh I don't know, just sort of raw skill set that wrestlers have. Um, you know, especially like when you talk about folk style and a top game and that grinding and that pressure. Um, the writing. You know, which yeah, exactly. The movement just yeah. Just like so some of those fundamentals just just weren't there for them. Um yeah you know what else what else would i say about their their styles um it's like you
0: talk about some of those international wrestlers and and their transition into mma sometimes isn't great when they get to the ground because they don't have the folk style training the control aspect they go with the high risk exposure just turn the guy versus how do i stay on top and grind this fucker out
3: well, that was what was really interesting for me at um, National Sports University in Korea was, um, you know, interestingly, like, those were some of the laziest guys that I've ever met, you know, like the coach would tell them to like do, uh, you know, 20 push push-ups, and they would, they would do like 10 and then start looking if the coach is watching and if he wasn't, they'd be like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> but, uh, you know, their wrestling was very similar, just lots of like cheap tilts and sort of, um you know, oriented towards the points game, as opposed to like getting someone down, controlling them, dominating a position. Um, And so, yeah, that whole, you know, even with the freestyle, that was something that I saw missing. And so I would, I I would say that's probably a pretty fair comparison is like, um, you know, if you compare like, yeah, being on the bottom with a folk style wrestler, as opposed to having a freestyle guy on top of you. Right. That's, f- that's an analogy that I would make with the the Japanese guys that I was training yeah. with, and, and this was a long you, time ago. So their game has definitely changed. I'm sure. And
0: folks, are you will well, focus you know, on escape and getting away, or reverse the position, and versus just staying put until you know the whistle? But,
2: gets but in defense of of the Japanese guys, you know they they all came from their style that they were taught and shown was was still like all performance wrestling. You know performance uh moves you know so when 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 he when Sajin says you know they weren't wrestlers no they were it was performance they could you could see the hold people don't want to see the wrestling you know in the professional world you know they they wanted to see the more theatrical thing um and that's the the only thing that i can say that i never got in in that world of professional wrestling like if you put me in a if you had me perform in a professional wrestling environment like right now, where I had to just completely, you know, work the whole thing, I would look like a fool. I would not know how to do it right. So, um, it's just not their fault. This is what this is what they they learned. Um,
0: but but also like historically, like you could literally, if you if you read history, you could trace back where right? like American catchers catch can. And that, and folk style has like that direct connection where this is the only country that wrestles folk style. Everybody else wrestles freestyle in Greco. Here, you take the guy down. You got to control him on top. And if you're on bottom, you got to try to get away. We're really the only country left. For
2: Look how many years that America was the predominant, uh, you know, uh, well, they call it free. They switched the name to freestyle in the Olympics, but we would win, win, win. All the famous catch wrestlers, you know, the professional catch wrestlers were all, you know, American-oriented. Um, you know, we have a rich history, and we should be proud of that. And that's the one thing about Rod Vaughan. When he moved to Cleveland, and he was trained with uh, Gehrig, who was part of the Frank Gotch Farmer Burns crew in one of their books and everything. And he was a world uh, lightweight or welterweight, one of the smaller weight, weight class uh, champions. Um, you know, and because of Rod Rodvan's already ability and his massive strength, they made him a policeman. They, they they taught him every little trick and submission, you know, in the world because, you know, hey, you're 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 the guy, you know, you you you'll handle this. You just came out of a concentration camp, so this shit isn't gonna be anything compared to what you've been through, that kind of mentality. Um and even Luth says Luth has said he never met him, but he knew of his reputation in the gyms, you know, um, of Cleveland, a uh, Cleveland area. But that this is like what I try to tell people, you know, I, I say the style in Japan, you know, the Carl Gotch, Billy Robinson style, is different. It's, it's not what I you're going to see here for, for me. It's a completely different. Um, Set up, not just the fact that we wrestle more, or and we do the ripping and all of that, but even the application of the submissions itself are different. Now, now, Sajin, you weren't with me long enough to see all the different te- ways I do these submissions, but Brian can testify to it, and Bruce, of course, with with and just the angles, because, you know, when the way I learned, pinning didn't matter, performance didn't matter. You know, I don't have to keep you from reaching the rope. So you you so you let go of the hold you know it's all about taking you out right here right now um and yeah it's just been an interesting thing so but for some people, they may be better suited for that 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 style the Japanese style or the you know uh, the English style let's call it really because that's really probably what it you, sh- you sh- we should call it um man maybe that's what's gonna work for you everyone's different, you know but um I just say, you know, when when MMA or when Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was getting popular back in the early 90s, they went over to Japan and they had their way with those quote-unquote Japanese catch wrestlers, okay? They were able to pretty much blow right through them. So that kind of speaks volumes. And and, and I think it boils down to what you said, uh, Mike, that they don't wrestle. Whereas the Jiu-Jitsu, the BJJ guys struggled with, good amateur wrestlers and American wrestlers that were kind of a little bit submission savvy, you know, kind of learned how to avoid them. Um, you know, so right there, I think that's kind of like the biggest difference to me in my eyes, in my opinion.
3: One thing that I, I think is really interesting. I don't know if any of you are still following like amateur wrestling. I feel like there's been a lot of interesting cross pollination in terms of techniques from uh, uh. MMA into amateur wrestling, especially lake, when you talk the about the
0: leg dives, the lake passes that's starting to you start ending up in some real funky positions that just you go straight into leg locks and that kind of stuff that was very popular in the early 2000s
3: for a while. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, I, I feel like even, even the you know, like because we, you know, when I'm talking about like an amateur wrestler or a folk style wrestler, I'm talking about like my era, you know, and so I don't. Yeah you know, get me on the mat with like one of these funk wrestlers. I don't, I don't know what I would do, but it's, right. it's interesting because I feel like a lot of the, and maybe I'll I'll just speak for myself. Like when I was on the mat, a lot of my uh, yeah, just wrestling was like raw movement and athleticism. Um, I feel like with a lot of um, you know, these jujitsu stylists uh, a lot of these, you know grapplers like modern grapplers they're very they're very very technical in terms of every position in every movement you know like there's a flow chart you know for every move you you can go here 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 and here um you know what uh like Ben Askren he's he's got like his whole funk game mapped out you know in terms of like if I grab him, I can do the leg pass, and then I get in this like overhook yeah. on the leg position. And then from the overhook on the leg position, I can, you know, move in either direction A, B, or C, depending on what they're doing. Right. Um, so, yeah, I just feel like the, the game has definitely changed. And I wonder what then you're, you start
0: watching. Like, I so I still watch, I mean, really, that's the sport I, I still follow uh, very dearly. And then you start, but nowadays, you see guys it's changed back to where a good sprawl is going to crush some of that. Right. And then guys start leg dive only out of desperation now, because then they realize it's not getting them anywhere in an amateur scenario. You're going to, you go for the stalemate basically at this point, occasionally create that scramble scenario, but the coaches are like, Hey, control the head, control the hips. Nothing's changed. Shut it down. You know, and, and, but yeah, no, there's like, boy, I remember when that stuff first came out, and I was watching. I was like,
3: right? I was like,
0: how oh, the fuck are they doing that shit? I've never seen some of that before. They were rolling, passing legs behind, coming out the back door in different ways than even John Smith was doing the,
3: just diving crazily to me back then. I was like, what? The f-? You know? But now I've seen enough. You of get that. two guys. You get two guys on the mat who do that, and it just looks bananas. Right. Um but but yeah, I mean, I, I think I think there's a lot to be said about the basics too. Right.
2: But like, I've always been in. I always improvise. And I teach people that I try to tell them that improvise because you just don't know. You've got to have an open mind. You be, you got to be creative. Is that, in in essence? So. Right. Um, but I can tell you this. Let's. I want to get on to this Ben Askren thing. So this now I'm, what I'm talking about now is coming from my jazz music uh, training. Now here's the thing, jazz guys. Always improvise. That's the whole thing. You know, you will get knocked. You will get fired if you play arrangements all the time, all right? That's society music. You got to improvise. That being said, every improviser has what we call in jazz an outline, okay? You have an outline. You have what's called crutch licks. You know, when you're in trouble, you'll, you'll play these licks over and over um, when you're in trouble. But so that. So my approach would be, like, in, in the Ben Askrens uh, to to compare, I have an outline. So Ben passes the leg, then he goes to the head, let's say, whatever. Okay, I have that, but, now, but that's not my goal. Uh, that's just my outline. So if I can get past the leg, get to the head. Now, once I get to the head, I got the neck, I got the face, I got the wrist locks, I got the rips. So now all of this shit opens up. So that's kind of how I've always approached things. Um, just always trying to be creative, always trying to improvise. Because in my world, I had to deal with weapons and and always dealing with punches and kicks and fights. You know, street fighting oriented stuff and landscapes, getting your know, chairs in the way and walls. So I really had to think quickly on my feet. Or husbands <laughs> and boyfriends. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, ex-husbands. Yeah. So I. That's, so that's been my, my thing. Now, if I was raised, if, like, if MMA existed or grappling tournaments existed in my younger day, maybe I wouldn't have been this way. If, if I was raised in the suburbs, I probably wouldn't have thought this way. But, um, so that's why I take things this way. And I always want my guys to learn to think on their feet, so to speak, even if you're on the mat. It's just a figure of speech. But improvise. See things. You know, start to be creative don't get too comfortable and get into a routine, you know, mix it up in your mind. So it's like a songwriter, you know, not every song can sound the same. You know, you, you've got to write totally different kinds of songs could be in the same style, but make it different. And that's how I, that's how I approach fighting. That's just, just, but, just my way. And but, again, it, my way's not for everybody.
0: So like Sergeant, you watch, did you watch Penn State in Iowa? The dual meet. I'll go back to that a little bit. Talking about
3: picking back of what we're saying, what Tony was saying. Uh, the most recent one, yeah, I, I don't think so. I'm, a, I'm maybe I did, but go ahead.
0: It was like last week. So, okay. traditionally, Iowa is the grind, fight, blah blah blah, and then duke it out style, brawling right, they're gonna beat you into submission. <coughs> Penn State, they wrestle for KO. They're, these guys are smooth, slick, and then they pull stuff out of like nowhere sometimes, right? They all wrestle kind of like Chaos Sanderson a little bit, do stuff that no one can do. But I keep reading these articles and seeing these videos where all the Penn State kids talk about when they're in the practice room. That's one big part of it, where it's like they, you know, they try to not just wrestle through positions, but look for the pin. Look for points in every position, not just the traditional ones, right? So they, like, encourage that a lot. So that's when you see when they wrestle, it's like, oh, fuck, how did he fucking did that? How did he do that, right? Normally, you got to get the, do this, do that, and then get there. And then they're just like, boom, reverse you right to your back. You see that way more. But then I find the interesting thing is that works for KO and blah, blah, blah. And then when they wrestle certain kids, that works all the time. When they wrestle Iowa, Penn State won, by the way. And then it still is down to everybody shutting everybody down, down to a grind. Doesn't matter what you want to do. The brawler couldn't brawl. The slip people that were trying to create their opportunities couldn't do it. It just all came down to physicality and will at, at that point. But I just, you know, I listen, I've been dying to talk to somebody else about that match for a while. So that dual meet.
3: Me and my, all my buddies, every Friday. I'm going to check it out now. When Big 10 check, you, make, on, you make, you make, you make like a boring decision grind sound exciting. You're oh, like, yeah, you're so neutralizing each other at every turn. No one could get their game going. And then it just became, no. became a battle of wills. It,
0: it, was, it was, it was crazy. Like, you know, and, and oh, I really, I'm an Iowa fan. Forever and ever, especially in college wrestling. Even when I was wrestling in college, because I'm a Dan Gable fan, um, I honestly this was the first time I was like going down the lineup. I go, they could get shut out. If they're not careful, they could lose every single match against Penn State. Thank God they didn't.
1: Yeah, all I right, just that's all
0: you I'm know,
2: say. I that's the thing about you know you got it down to the grind. You know they were able to impose wills and you know uh, kind of like just shut things down. Sometimes that's what you have to do in a fight, man. You know, you got to cut this guy's angle, you know, don't let him get around you or just whatever, just shut it down. Um, I got to admit, I don't, I don't get to watch MMA as much uh, at all. I just, once in a blue moon, I'll see a clip, you know, of, of something. But, um, you know, I hear enough from other guys, you know, I kind of can piece it together but, uh, yeah, you guys all got me thinking back now about to the, to, the, to the late 90s when we all met, like right around the year 2000 when some of it was still in its infancy. Um, yeah, those were happy times. Too bad you never got to see the old uh, the other gym that I had. Um, well, Triton College, I don't think you were over there. But the gym that I had in Bensonville um, was not much nicer. You know, we could get – you know more you know different kind of different type of energy
0: that, that the one with workout. the couches and the pool table like really like that much nicer yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, had, pool I, had, table.
2: I had my brunswick nine-foot pool table there yeah oh yeah
0: wait
1: a, 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 a tanning bed, bed. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah uh, a
2: sauna a, a hot tub a, a bar a poker table oh yeah it was a it was a social athletic club that's what we called it it was cool um but yeah i missed i missed that but you know we're all older now, families and injuries and life and uh you know um but boy, it's sure good to see you, man. I hope I get to see you in person man
3: uh, yeah i mean uh i'm 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 I have lots of plans for a post pandemic life, so let's make it happen
2: yeah, cause not that far of course, I'm in the suburbs or the rural, but
0: that's no biggie but, but where are you now in Minneapolis? yeah, I'm in Minneapolis,
3: all right, nice. Okay. And then, Bruce, where are you at these days?
0: Right. I mean, I'm on the, well, I'm in three places. Right now I'm in Seattle. Uh, but I, so I come here to visit my parents. I live in between San Jose and Chicago. Still back and forth a little bit, but I'm probably going to be moving back to Chicago for, for good. Um, I can't
1: wait. Can't wait. But, yeah, I, can't back wait in not, Illinois.
0: I might be going to Minneapolis in March, but if not, definitely soon. So next time I'm, not, I'm there, I'm going to look you
3: up. we'll share some contact information for sure bring you some diapers
2: you got to tell eric Eric paulson that i said hello too because one guy that i used to train he also trains under eric paulson and uh he was always talking about eric and i doing like a joint seminar here in chicago and it's just never you know never happened and of course now with with the COVID thing, who knows what, if, what, you know, if it'll ever happen, but this guy used to train under Larry Hartzell and I got to meet Larry Hartzell a couple of times and man, that was a very nice guy. Now him and I would have been best buddies. Um, Eric or not Eric, but, uh, Larry wanted me to do a, a knee bar video for him. And before I could get it filmed, sadly he passed away, but cause I knew him right near the, I just met him at the tail end, um, of his life, you know, and uh, we had a, we had some nice talks. Uh, We probably would have had much more. Uh, He was very candid and kind of confirmed some of the beliefs that I had. He confirmed them, um, which I will not go into publicly. Um, But believe me, he was, he was a really nice guy. And just a guy that I, I wish I could have gotten to know earlier. And I wish he was still alive today. I, I, believe me, him and I would have been in touch all the time. He's just a nice guy. He was a very nice guy. And um, I've talked to Josh Barnett. I've talked to Eric Paulson. They've always seemed very nice. I saw Josh Barnett on one of the hot rod shows, car shows a few years ago. Um, I was jealous. Um, you know, I wish I could have been on this show Uh so I didn't know that Josh was into, you know, classic cars. So uh, if I get to see him, um, that's something that we can talk about as well, besides just the wrestling stuff. But, um, yeah, they're still, they're still going. Now, I would think Eric is either my age or maybe, maybe older, a couple of years. I don't know. He's from Minneapolis, I think, right? Or St. Paul? Uh,
3: Paulson, Paulson is – no, Paulson is out on the West Coast. He's in L.A., I believe.
2: But, no, isn't he originally from Minneapolis, I'm saying? I
3: I don't think so. Oh okay. Yeah, he's All he's right, I'm not a sure.
1: Minnesota native. That's right. Him oh, and Oh. Okay. That's correct.
2: Well, how old is he? He's got to be around my age, or maybe a little older, right or younger.
0: I I remember seeing him in the Black All magazine like what, 1940, 49? <laughs> <laughs> well, being
2: out on the west coast is a big help, you know, because it, when in his age, because, you know, that's where it was all happening in the seventies, it was all New York, but then it, it all transit transitioned over there. And, you know, and I think he used to, used to train with, uh, what Inosano and probably Gene LaBelle. And, you know, he had all those connections I'm thinking, right. Or no,
3: you're, you're right. You're right.
2: Yeah. So, I, um,
1: Question for Sergeant, if you don't mind, um, you you have got a couple boys uh next generation of wrestlers or what are you thinking for these these little ones uh
3: you know i am uh as far as my kids are concerned um you know i I, w- I want my son to to box and wrestle just you know i think it's i think it's unfortunate and reality how old are they that, just
1: clarify how old are your kids now
3: son is son is 5 daughter is 2 um okay. you know That's he's he's eventually going to gonna box and wrestle. So yeah, the diapers, Bruce, I don't, I don't need them. You know, we, we bad, just, we got the potty trained. So we're good. We're good. But, um, you know, I, I feel like, um, as I was mentioning, it's just kind of an unfortunate reality that like Asian American men, they, they get bullied. And, you know, for, for me, like, um, you know, wrestling was, uh, something that I gravitated to in order to, you know, kind of, um, you know, develop myself physically to learn how to, you know, protect myself and, you know, perhaps to, um, kind of uh fight back against some stereotypes about you know asian men and, and like you know what we can do or what we're capable of um so yeah for my son i want him to do those two things um for his own safety and protection so that'll be mandatory for him but you know i think fortunately you know i've lived a life where i've gotten like you know i've lived a very full life before i had kids so i don't have like all these sort of unfulfilled wishes that i'm going to project on that on, on my kids um And so, yeah, like if that's something he wants to pursue, then like, you know, fantastic. You know, that that's, you know, something I can give to him. And if it's something that like, uh, you know, he doesn't want to pursue, then that's fine, too. You know, Bruce was talking about how, um, you know, elite level athletes often are, you know, just a little bit off. You know, there's I mean, I think the most famous, of course, is Dan Gable, who like, you know, was um, sort of haunted by by the, the murder of his sister, the rape and murder of his sister. Um, you know, I think for me, I had like a lot of, um, you know, a lot of my own issues tied into, um, you know, my training and just like the need for a physical outlet and a lot of angst and, and you know, trouble in my in my own personal history. Um, and so hopefully my son can have a happier life than that and, and won't need to like, um, yeah, train like a madman in order to find some kind of solace in, in, in his life. Uh, for my daughter, I'd like her to, you know, to, uh, you know, to learn uh, you know wrestling and, and boxing as well for those same reasons um, but I don't have any I don't have any aspirations for them in terms of what you know what they achieve in those sports you know what whatever they want to do I'll, I'll be happy and what about you Brian I know you've got two little ones yeah I've got my eight-year-old
1: daughter she's um sweetheart I I, I don't expect her to be much of a grappler just on personality. <laughs> um, my son's four, he'll be five in, in the spring or the fall. And, uh, Askren's one of his gyms is 15 minutes from my house. So I've already kind of eyeballed that for maybe, uh, they started five years old and it's called little ninjas or something is their first program. So, uh, he's a physical little guy and I'm sure he'll, he'll take to it. So uh, it's same thing though. I'm not gonna, you know, uh, project any kind of any, um, goals that I set for them, you know, I mean, they'll, they'll determine that on their own, but certainly encourage it and try to impart what I, I can and what I know on them too.
0: And
2: I want Speaking Joe of- Cardinal, when when Joe Cardinal grows up, you know, I want him to learn how to box a little bit and, and maybe wrestle, <laughs> you know. Um, but we'll see, you know, he's probably going to be a, a little bit more on the lines of like, you know, you and brian's daughter um so he might get into something like that maybe baking you know cookies or you know make making ribbons for hair you know shit like that who knows it's up well, to you, Joe. That, little, that little ninjas program sounds
1: pretty cool actually <laughs> you would probably be the dominant force there i mean it might be a good idea to sandbag the, the class fin- so finally finally a grappling class where i might yeah. be able to dominate <laughs> <laughs> sergeant every every uh podcast has this has a you know a little bit of a little bit of love against Joe, so to speak. So, had to get that in before that. We had a three-hour conversation. I'm surprised it took us this long. So, yeah.
3: <laughs> Joe's.
2: Well, hey, know, gentlemen, the, star
3: I, of the show. I I, uh, I have to apologize uh, for for you um, showing up late. Uh, you know, I, I got uh, I got my message from Joe uh, a little bit later than I expected, and just uh, you know you know how it goes. I'm I'm a teacher, and uh, you know we're in a pandemic. Uh, we're in actually the middle of two pandemics um you know at uh, at my school we're we 're in the middle of the um you know covid pandemic and we're also dealing with with an opioid uh epidemic as well at the same time and so oh, uh, oh shit yeah so things have been things have been kind of crazy um <clears throat> but nonetheless um it's just great to be able to take just take a break from all that stuff and See some like familiar faces, some friendly faces. So um, you know, I want to thank all of you for for having me on here. Um, yeah, I apologize about uh, pulling the plug now, but uh, you know, I have to. Uh, what is it? Uh, Vasil Lomachenko says tomorrow's workout begins today, and so uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna start my workout tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. But uh, you know, I gotta I gotta get to bed today in order to, to make that happen.
2: Well, we'll make you, we'll, we'll, we'll invite you back on again. We'd love to have you if you'd like to.
3: Oh, absolutely. It's been, it's been a pleasure. And uh yeah, definitely. um Definitely. I feel like, uh, what has it been? It's been about two hours for me, you know, has is just definitely not been enough. You know, it's just, we've just scraped right. the surface. So if you'll have me on again, it would be an honor.
2: Well, it would be. And anybody who's in that area where he lives, if you're, if, I don't know if you're teaching privately, but always search out, Sajin Kwok, because he is one of the finest uh, fighters, not just grapplers that, you know, that I've run across. So I can't endorse uh, him highly enough.
0: A wrestler, a grappler, a fighter, a father, a husband, and a gentleman, possibly a scholar even. Definitely a martial arts scholar. Oh, and a martial artist. Like all of these things. All you
3: make me blush.
0: <laughs> no, but seriously, you get all these titles because that's who you are at the end of the day, right? You do yeah. all those things you've done. I, it, so. I
1: read Sajin's graduate uh, dissertation, so he's definitely a scholar. There yeah, you go. For sure.
0: So, listen, I do have your email. Remember, we actually exchanged email not too long ago. Um, I got it from Brian. I texted you. That's right. I got that's it right. from Brian and I hit you up. And then one of the reasons I hopped on, I know you got to go, but just Brian texted me the other day he like, hey, did you? read that email yet? Did you see who else got copied in? I was like, no, I haven't. And then he's like, well, I'll go read it. And then I took a peek and I was like, okay, I'll be on. Well, get me in the loop too with this
2: so I can be in touch with him.
3: <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, All right, I'm going to come and Mike,
2: see you. Sergeant, good to see you again.
3: Great to see you. And, uh, and thank you again. Let's, let's, let's stay in touch. Looking, looking forward to actually making this uh, connection in person too.
2: we Will do. Guaranteed. All right. Okay,
3: take care. Great seeing you. Take
0: care.